December 23rd, 2021, we're in Masechet Sanhedrin on Daf Mem Daled Bet, five lines from the top of the page, the last word on the line. Says the Gemara, Amar Shemuel Bar Unya Mishemeh Derav, statement in the name of Rav, Gadol Talmud Torah, Yoter It's always difficult to rate or to scale mitzvot. The Mishnah in Pirkei Avot warns us that we should uh, treat both mitzvot kalot, kahamurot, so we don't really know the difference between the two, but nonetheless, Rav is able to sufficiently in this context state, and it's particularly relevant to us in a day and age when we don't have korbanot, he's able to say, listen, Talmud Torah, which is certainly still open to you, is greater than hakravat timidin, than the sacrifices which were uh, brought forth on a regular basis. Shine Imar, as the Pasuk said, which we were Doresh yesterday, Atabati, if you recall the story which the Gemara reconstructed from the beginning of Sefer Yehoshua, is where this angel comes during the time of siege of Yericho, uh, approaches Yehoshua, he's holding a, the, the angel is holding a sword. Yehoshua, of course, fearing for his life, doesn't understand exactly what this angel is there for, understands that it's an angel. The angel says there are two problems over here. Number one, Emesh, previously during the daytime hours, Bitaltem, you, uh, you failed to sacrifice Talmichel ben Harbaim. Today, excuse me, now at night, you're not studying Torah, you're not immersing yourself in Torah appropriately. Ask Yehoshua, so which one of those two, of course the answer could have been both, but which one of those two is the reason that you're coming to me now in such a uh, perilous fashion, holding that sword, wielding that sword in your hand? Atabati, said the angel, I came because of now, which of course was the nighttime failure, that of Talmud Torah. Miyad, said the Gemara, immediately Yehoshua was lan ba'emek, uh, which meant, in the eyes of the rabbis, Torah. he almost went to sleep through the depths of Torah. Well, that being the case, says Rav, if the, if the circumstance was that the angel is rebuking him, telling him what he did wrong, not for only the Tamit Shel Ben Harbaim, but more specifically, the greater sin was the Bitul Torah, says Rav, it appears that Talmud Torah is greater in terms of the way we can envision it and understand it and appreciate it than Hakravat Michel Ben Ha'arbaim. Of course, each are important. Of course, the Mishnah says in Pirkei Avot as well that Al Shilosha Devarim Ha'olam Omed Ala Torah Ve'al Ha'avodah Ve'al Gemilut Hasadim. It appears as if Torah and Avodah are both the bedrocks, the foundations of existence. Avodah, of course, being Hakravat Korbanot or as we have it today, Tefillah. But the statement nonetheless is one in which he he describes or understands Talmud Torah as rising above. It's what the Hachamim say. In different words, it says, "Miyom shaharav bet hamikdash en lo dakadosh baruchul beolamo ela arba amot shel halacha bilvad." From the destruction of the Mikdash, so you might not have sacrifices any longer. What you still have is Arba Mochil Halacha. You have the ability to study Torah, to immerse yourself in Torah appropriately. Says Rav, it's more than just that's all that remains. Look at the positive side. It's the greater one. It's in the eyes of the rabbis what the Malach is rebuking Yehoshua about the Torah. It's true the Tamid was problematic, but the more problematic one is the fact that you have the opportunity and put yourself in context for just a moment in the rabbi's vision of what's taking place over there, it's at a moment of respite. It's during the d- nighttime hours of a siege against Yericho as you're conquering during your conquest of Eretz Israel. turns the Malach to Yoshua in the reconstruction of the rabbis and says, you're doing a great job, but not good enough. Why not? 
because you're not involved in Torah during any and every activity that we involve ourselves with in life. There has to be the packaging on the sides of Torah, of Lan Be'um Kashel Torah. Says the Gemara onward, Amar le Abaye le Ravdimi. Abaye turns to Ravdimi, and the Gemara record, records this in our context because we were talking about claims or statements of angels, one being explicit, the one in Yehoshua. Why don't we talk about one other one? Haikera, the following pasuk, uh, How do they establish it? How do they t- interpret it in Eretz Yisrael? This is Abaye asking Ravdimi, who had some knowledge of the Western, the Eretz Yisrael interpretations. Pasuk says, Al lariv maher. Pen Don't run or don't go out to fight too quickly because who knows what you'll do in its aftermath. When your friend will embarrass you. Lastly, You should fight the fight against your friend, against the person, your foe, uh, with it being between the two of you. Al tegal, but don't reveal or tegal. Don't reveal the sod, the secret of another. Before we even continue onward, the most simple interpretation over here is: if this is a dispute between you and another, if this is the riv between you and re'echa, to bring and to reveal some sort of secret of another in this context in order to win the fight. It's ultimately speaking not going to serve you well. That's what Sefer Mishle is warning against. Don't involve other secrets in your dispute, in your issue with another. But in our context, says the Gemara, Ravdimi is asked by Abaye, is there a circumstance, is there an example from the past that you can turn to and point to and say, this is what it's referring to? Sure, says Ravdimi in Eris Yisrael, here's how they interpret that circumstance of revealing another's secret in the context of your own issue. As HaKadosh Baruch Hu turns to Yechizkel and says, Yisrael, Go and tell Yisrael. And here are the words that Yechizkel is tasked to speak to Yisrael. You're supposed to say, Say to Yisrael, your father, the Amorite, and your mother, the Hittite. Hiti and Emori, we know. Those are from the seven nations of Eretz Yisrael. Who's that referring to? You're turning to Am Yisrael, the Navi Yechizkel from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and as part of putting them down, as part of getting them into their appropriate place, what's that? It's a rebuke. It's a rebuke. More specifically, in context of this rebuke, who's it referring to? So again, it might say, you come from terrible lineage. Ah, terrible lineage. I mean, if I trace myself all the way back, I'm very proud of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. The reference, the understanding of the Hachamim is, this is referring to Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah, the mother and father, Shema Yisrael, Emori, and Hiti. Of course, Sarah is buried in the land of Hiti. Abraham comes from around there. There's a troubling Rashi, which all the Mefarshim have difficulty with. Rashi says, Avicha Emori, Terach ve'avotav mikena'an bau. It says Terach and his forefathers came from Kenan, and that's why we refer to Abraham as coming from Kenan. It's difficult. We know Abraham goes in the direction of Kenan. He comes from Haran or Urkastim. Not exactly from. All right, but anyway, that's the description here in the Gemara. So uh, again, it's a dispute, so to speak, between Hakadosh Baruch Hu and Am Yisrael. And in that context, God invokes quote 
the secret uh, secrets of our forefathers and foremothers, right? He refers to Abraham as the Emori and to Sarah as the Haiti, not all that uh, beautiful in context. And as a result, Amera, at the time that, so to speak, God says that to Yehazkel, Amera Ruach Piskonit Lifneha Kadosh Baruch this ruach, which sounds like a spirit, lifsok means either to stop or to uh, to set in place, like a pesach halacha, uh, comes out and exclaims in front of God, ribono shel olam. Uh, we'll discuss in just a moment what this ruach piskonit is. It says, ribono shel olam, it's so to speak confronting God. I, I, I will not purport to actually understand this midrash. Many midrashim I try my best at. This one I'll try my best, but won't be able to help you all that much. Im Abraham if Abraham and Sarah were actually standing here in front of you, Hakadosh Baruch Hu, would you really stand there or be there and speak in such a fashion in which you're machlimotam, in which you're embarrassing them? In other words, your dispute, your fight is with Am Yisrael. Don't get Abraham and Sarah involved in this. Don't speak about them. That is That's fight the fight with the person you're fighting with. Don't bring others in. Don't smear others in the context of that fight in order to win it, in order to put down the person you're fighting against. Now, what's this Ruach Paskanit? Says Rashi, one word, Gabriel. It's referring to Malach Gabriel, an angelic force known as Gabriel. If you look next to Rashi, there's that little bit. That little bit leads you, at least in my Gemara, to the left-hand side where it says Hagaot Hagra. Gra, of course, his name was... Rabbi Eliyahu of Vilna, that's the Gaon Mi Vilna. Here it says, Rashid Dibura Matchil Paskanit Gavriel. I don't know if you see that. Nun Bet, Nichtab Besido, Enokim. Says Gaon Mi Vilna about Rashid. No, that's not what Ruach Paskanit is. It's not Gabriel. So who was it? What is it? Not fully clear exactly what we're referring to. It's a Midrash, which is hard to fully unpackage. Uh, Mi'iri says this is some sort of uh, prophetic force. When we talk about this Ruach Paskanit, we're referring to a Ruach Nevu'ah. Kivyachol in Yeheskel, it comes to his mind, these sorts of thoughts. Irrespective of either way you slice it, says the Gemara, that's what took place. That's the interpretation, says Ravdimi to Abaye, of that Pasuk in Mishle, which refers to when you're in a fight with another, don't involve yet another party in revealing their secret. Keep it between the two of you. It comes as a result of a historic uh, 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 encounter between God and Yehezkel. Says the Gemara, really? Does even a Gavriel, does even a Ruach Nevoah, however you interpret this Ruach Paskanit, umi'it le reshuta kulehai? Does it have the reshut, the ability, kulehai, kolzot, to this extent, to dispute God? I mean, that's a little much. It's true, Abraham was uh, at, at, at one point uh, fighting with God, kivyachol. But over there, as I've interpreted on many occasions at Sedom, God wants him to fight. He turns to Avram and he tells him, I'm going to Sedom, I'm, this is what I'm doing. He's, 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 he's coaching him to ask questions. He wants him to be the individual who's coming along for the judgment uh, process and ask questions. Over here, you're disputing God, is that appropriate? Says the Gemara, in, yes, indeed he's allowed to, he's supposed to. This Ruach uh, Paskanit is supposed to really, how do you know? Uh, just some sort of tradition, says the Gemara, This, uh, this, this uh, essence, we're calling Gavriel, or we're calling Nevoah, has really three names. The rabbis will refer to it in three ways. One is Piskon, 
One is Itmon and one is Sigron. Those are the three names. Uh, what's the relevancy? Piskon, the reason it's known as Piskon is Sheposek Devarim Kelape Ma'ala. Because he'll have decrees against the heavens. That's our Gemara, that's our storyline, where, uh, where this being is fighting with God. In other words, the fact that it has that name demonstrates that that's part of its role. Now, of course, this is meant to be taken, before I even continue with the rest of the names, each of these are meant to be taken, not in a literal sense. That's not now saying, well, there are angelic forces which fight with God. Now, it's the same way we talk about God turning to angels and asking about creation of the world. It's the same way we describe God as creating worlds and destroying them. This is for lessons we can learn. Go ahead, Rob. He's fighting for us. He's fighting for us, yes. He's the Am Yisrael. Furthermore, Itmon She'otem Avonotem Shel Yisrael. It's also known as Itmon. La'atom Alef Taf Mem refers to closing up, to sealing, so to speak. This force seals the sins, the wrongdoings, the iniquities of Am Yisrael. Of course, we see that somewhat taking place over here as well. Yahaskel is supposed to go and rebuke the people, and this force, uh, not so fast. We're supposed to understand this allegorically. We're not supposed to understand that, the, that God has to really overcome forces against them. We're supposed to understand, well, there are ways of defending yourself. There's ways of understanding God's ways and so forth. And lastly, Sigron, Milashon Nisgor, to close, Kevan Shesogir, once HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so to speak, closes the book, as Posek Din has the determination against to Am Yisrael and shuts out this Ruach, this Gavriel, there's no chance. That's what we refer to in Masechet Rosh Hashanah as Nigzar Hadin. When you have Gizar Din, there's not really a chance after that final decree and verdict, once it was stamped and sealed, there's no chance of really opening it again. Okay, continues the Gemara and it says, well, let's now focus a little bit on prayer. We talked about Leifalel, we talked about uh, Tefillah, we talked about Din in each of these contexts. Well, let's, let's for a moment talk about prayer, the Pasuk in Iov, when the friends of Iov turned to him and Question, did you really have the right approach? Eov, you're this individual who has such a sorrowful, difficult life. Let me ask you a question. They ask him some sort of question. La'aroch means to means to organize, means to put together, or structure. Shu'acha, shu'acha is a hard word to translate, but shav'atenu kabel brahamim means our cries, our prayers. So it sounds like the organization of prayer. Did you pray lo besar, not in sar? What does the word sar mean? Sar is also a hard word to translate. Sar could mean narrow, as opposed to rahav, you have sar. Sar also could mean enemy. Uh, so those are going to be two interpretations of the Gemara. Something about, they're asking him a question, did you do your prayer in the context of lo bitsar? Not with narrowness, not with enemies. What does it mean? So says the Gemara, it'll render understandings for us in terms of our prayer. Sarot means sorrows, troubles, but that's also milashon narrow. When you, the sorrows you have in life is because you don't have a breath and breathing room. And as a result, a narrow and difficult, it's the same reason your enemies are known as Sara as well, because they close in on you. Anyway, says the Gemara, Amar bil Azar, we learn from this claim of the friends of Yov to him, Le'olam, 
we should spend our lives, you should be praying, you should be living a life of prayer long before sorrows and narrowness and enemies, anything that's going to befall you. If you were involved in a relationship beforehand with God, it's going to really serve you much better than when that relationship is only inspired and provoked during a time of sorrow, as we've discussed, as we know. Listen, life is such that we ignore the presence of God in our life, and as a result, neglect the opportunity to, on a consistent and constant basis, engage with him in dialogue. And we find him, quote-unquote, only during times of Sar. So the question of, 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 of the friends of Yov to him, the question to us in turn is, are you capable, are you able of engaging in, in true, genuine, authentic prayer even before the Sarah? Because if it's only during the time of Sarah, it sounds a little disingenuous. It sounds as if you're only turning because you're in need, not because you actually want or are seeking a relationship. That word ilmale with an aleph at the end uh, refers to ilulo, had it not been. Had it not been that Avraham uh, preceded prayer, lesara ben betelu ben ha'ai, lo nishtayer Israel sarid upalit. There's an interesting reference over here. It's an interesting midrash. Rashi kind of cites this in his commentary to the Torah as well. The beginning of Parashat Lech Lecha, Abraham stops Ben Ha'ai, the Ben Ha'ai u Ben Betel, and he Vayetsham Aholon. He places his his tent over there. Vayikra b'shem Adonai, and he cries out in the name of God, which could be referring either to proselytizing, he's bringing people in, or to prayer. The understanding here of the Gemara is it's prayer. Abraham prayed there. What was he praying about? You gave me the exact coordinates. Ben Betelu Ben Ha'ai. According to this midrash, you want to know what he's praying about? In the future, my descendants are going to have sorrow in this place. They're going to fight against the I, and I'm praying now for them. That's the way the rabbis envisioned somehow the powers and forces of Abraham at that time. Had he not prayed in such a fashion prior to the sorrow coming, had he not established a relationship with God then, we'd have no chance of continuing existence after the fight against the eye. But wait a second, we said we lost the fight against the eye. Well, kind of. We lost 36 lives, or we lost one life, according to the interpretation of the Chachamim. We would have lost much more than that, suggests the Gemara, had Abraham not prayed there beforehand. The coordinates are what's, what's, what's uh, tempting them to say this. The fact that the Torah says he plants his tent, ben betelu, ben ha'ai, what's the significance of those places, of that nation? It's telling you something having to do with them in the future. That was Abraham's ability to engage in prayer long before sorrow befell his people. Resh Lakish Amar. Resh Lakish has a different interpretation to this pasuk. Kol ha-me'amets atzmo betfila milimata en lo sarim milimata. Any person who engages in tefila milimata in this world, he won't have any foes, he won't have any enemies milimata. Of course, referring to some sort of negative angelic forces. Angels won't get involved. And that's the reference in the Pasuk. So the Pasuk says, If you appropriately engage in prayer, you won't have any enemies above. Rabbi Yohanan says, let's make this a little bit more positive. Instead of if you do prayer right, the enemies won't come your way. What about if you do prayer right, the angels will help the force of the prayer? We'll talk about that concept in a second. The end of the pasuk is the end of the pasuk is all the strength and power should come 
Well, where's it coming from? It's coming from those angelic forces, it sounds like. If that's what we're reading the Pasuk as, make certain that you pray so that the angels don't harm you. They only help you. That's the way Rashi interprets this Gemara. We don't want there to be from above in the celestial realm, in the angelic realm, anyone who's giving you Sarah. We'd rather them be Ma'amase Koach. We'd rather them be a, a, a conduit toward, using that word purposefully, uh, the acceptance of our prayers. Now, this is a difficult statement, both Resh Lakish, but moreover, Biohanan are difficult statements because Harambam has 13 principles of faith, and one of them is that you're not allowed to pray to God through any conduit, and he includes in that list of conduits uh, not only human beings, but angels. So, whatever it means to speak to an angel in order to bring your prayer forth, it appears as if Rabbi Yohanan is transgressing that. Uh, not, a simple, not, a, not a simple question to deal with. You should know that historically Ashkenazim had piyutim, Swaradim still do, but Ashkenazim had piyutim, which some of them still sing, uh, like uh, the, whatever, they had different piyutim on the Yamim Noraim, in which it appears as if they're beseeching angels to intervene in their prayers. So it's very hard to understand that Gaon. Mivilna, Hatam Sofer, others took them out of the prayers and said, We shouldn't be saying the piyut known as Machnisera Hamim, those who will bring in the mercy. It's inappropriate. We're speaking to angels. As a matter of fact, on Friday night, we sing Shalom Aleichem. Gaon Mivilna, Bihaim of Alajan, had a hard time with one verse in it. Barchuni Shalom. What's Barchuni le Shalom? You should bless us with Shalom. That's against one of the principles of faith of Harambam. You're not allowed to ask the angels to give us Shalom, to bring us peace. We ask Akadosh Baruchu to do so. Of course, the uh, alternative approach. To this, and it's a longer, more broad-reaching uh, 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 conversation, is that if the vision is such that they don't have an independent force, but whatever these words mean, but you're looking for them to aid you in your connectedness to God, not that you're turning, so to speak, to other forces and saying, bring forth, I know it's a fine line over here, well, that might be permitted. Uh, does that mean that that's what we're looking for? Does it mean that's the direction we should be going in? Certainly not. We'd like to have an unobstructed, direct, and unadulterated relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which means no, no necessity and no involvement of other forces. But the statement here in the Gemara need not be against one of the 13 principles of faith. I'd like to think it's not. Yes, Charles? So the bullet of, of certain prayers that we say in our way, from what I understand, is to bypass angels to be the to So over there, it's to bypass the angels understand. That's the Gemara Masechet Shabbat, which I've, I've I'll, I'll tell you the longer conversation about it, but it, it does get involved in this conversation, but not fully. Because over there, when we have like Yitkada, like Kaddish, according to some, the according to some, Kaddish is in Aramaic to bypass, as you said, the angels' understanding of it. Uh, we don't want their involvement in it. It's not as difficult, because over there, you're going to say they're going to be Mekatreg, they're going to prevent it. It's less that we need them to bring it forward. That's the bigger problem. That there's something that's going to prevent it. Can't exp- I can't explain that to you. I'm not certain who can explain that to you, but I can tell you it's not against the principle of faith because I'm not saying I need them or I'm going through them to God. I'm saying they could prevent me uh, to, to uh, interpret uh, accordingly. That's less problematic than this one because this one is, Rabbi Yohanan says, not only do you want them not to prevent you, like Resh, like you said, I, you want them to help you. Help you, Uli, what do you mean help you? There's no such a, do you understand? That's that's the point over here. It says the Gemara Minayin Shekiper Lo Viduyav, that was the Mishnah. The Mishnah said, how do you know that Achan 
in fact, achieved kapara through his vidui. We said that prior to being killed, Achan ten toda, Yoshua said to him, you should be more you should have a vidui. How do you know he was accepted? So the Mishnah told us, the Beraita reiterates it, Tanura banana Beraita minayin, shekiper lo viduyav. How do you know that the kapara of Achan achieved for him kapara, that atonement? Shine emar vayomer lo Yoshua, me achartanu ya'akorcha Adonai hayom hazeh. Azuk says, Yahshua turns to him and says, well, look at all the bad you did to us. You should know God should cause that bad, that filth, that dirt to you on this day. What's on this day? So the derasha goes, Hayom akur akur haba. Your dirt, your bad, your evil side, your negativity is Hayom but not in the future because of your vidui. You've achieved a heartfelt, introspective uh, atonement, and as a result, you have that kapara for the future. Uchtif. And you should know, says the Gemara, says the Beraita Uchtiv, Ubne Zerach, the Pasuk says in Divrei Yamim, Zerach, Zerach, who we know from Sefi Yoshua was the father of Achan, says the Pasuk, Ubne Zerach, he had five sons, Zimri, Vetan, Veheman, Vekalkol, Vedara, Kulam Hamisha, the Pasuk mentions five children. My Kulam Hamisha, what does it mean at the end, the conclusion? All right, you told me those are his names of his children. Why do you conclude? I say, here are my five children. I tell you that, or, or rather, I say, here are my children. I mention the five children, and then I say at the end, these are my five children. Why do you need to summarize? These are the five children. My Kulam Hamisha, Kulam Hamisha, hen. The fact that we don't know anything negative, if anything, we might know positive about the siblings of Achan, it stands to reason, says the Gemara, that Achan being listed together with them and the Pasuk placing them together and specifying they're all five is telling you he was just like them getting Olam Haba. But who is he? I mean, it doesn't mention Achan. I read those five names pretty quickly, almost as fast as the Aserit bin Haman, but I mentioned those names pretty quickly. I didn't mention Achan. Where was Achan? So the understanding of the Gemara is that this name Zimri is a second name, is a nickname, or is the primary name of Achan. Again, what did the Gemara just do for us? It's bringing another source or hint in the Pasuk in Divrei Ayamim that Achan's ending was okay. Achan did a pretty grave sin. Nonetheless, his vidui, kiperlo, he got kapara for. How do you know? Pasuk says, five children to Zerach. Zerach was the father of Achan. One of them, Zimri, we're going to understand in just a moment, that was Achan. And the Pasuk lumps him together with his four siblings and says, they're kulam hamishat to tell you. They're all together on this mission, this passageway to Olam Haba. Why is he known as Zimri over here? And in Sefi Yoshua, he's known as Achan, Ketib. On the one hand, it says Zimri, Uchtiv. And it says on the other hand, in Sefi Yoshua, Achan. What was his name? Rav Shumuel. Says the Gemara, two opinions of Rav and Shemuel. We're not certain who said what, but each has a different opinion. Hadamar Achan Shemo. One of these two, either Rav or Shemuel, says his true name was Achan. Zimri. Why they nickname him Zimri? Zimri because he didn't act like Zimri. Remember Zimri, Zimri ben Salu, with together with Kosbi, has relations in front of the nation. In the Gemara on Amud Aleph, Amim Dalet Amud Aleph, we had a dirasha from the word Nivala in the context of Achan, that Achan was Bo'il Na'aram Orasai, didn't act of inappropriate relations, just like Zimri, so we gave him a nickname, Zimri Hazit. Maybe not Hazit, maybe he was deservant of it. The Hadamar, alternatively, even if you don't go as far as I just said, that we're accepting the Ba'al Na'aram Orasai, it's a public act of defiance of God. That in and of itself, you're a Zimri person. You did this public, I know you 
tried to do it privately, but ultimately speaking, everyone found out the defiant act, that's just like Zimri. Hadamar, alternatively, the other opinion says, Zimri Shemo, his true name was Zimri, so how come in Sefi Yahshua referred to him as Achan? He surrounded or he circled or he brought back the sins of Israel for them being noticed. In other words, by his activity, God then, so to speak, judged the rest of Israel. 36 die. We lost. Uh, we didn't have a full, uh, full win against the eye because of one person's deed. Sometimes that's what it takes. Sometimes it takes one outlying individual to expose the rest. That's who he was. What is that? Lashon Achan and Ichen. The Gemaran Masech Bava Mitzian, Dafnun Tetamudbed, has the famous story of Tanur Shel Achnai. Tanur Shel Achnai, of course, the Mahlok between Biliaz and Chachamim. They're dealing with some sort of oven, whether once it was broken and then pasted back together, it's Tameh or Tahor. But the conversation aside, why was it known as Achnai? Why was it known as Tanur Shel Achnai? Says the Gemara, because through this mahluk, through this dispute between Bili'ez and Chachamim, it almost got surrounded with dispute, just like an Achnai. Says the Gemara, says Rashi over there. What's an Achnai? It's a serpent. A serpent is something that slithers around, and someone, like a python or whatever, the ones who kind of slither around in order to kill, that's what it is. It's a serpent who kind of comes around, makes that circle. That's the last one over here as well. Achan is like that serpent, more than just like a serpent. It's a serpent who surrounds, who took the sins of Israel. Vigilgelotam, he surrounds them, brings them back to being noticed. Yes? Um, is this Achan's father Zerah is cited as Zubidah's son Zerah? What do you want me to tell you? How do you like the I don't. I leave that to you. Says the Gemara onward, Mabarif. Says the Gemara, there are all those sorts of questions when you read Sefer Dibrei, I mean, vis-a-vis the words of the Hachamim. Always. The chronology, chronology is always difficult. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'd have to work on it, but I haven't. Says the Gemara onward, If you recall, the end of the Mishnah said, if the person doesn't know how to do vidui, we teach them. We tell them, my sin should, and my vidui now should be a kapara, not only for this sin, but for all my sins. That's what we tell them to say. But if the individual knows that there was a conspiracy against him or her and they didn't actually sin, they shouldn't say that. They should say, even though I didn't sin, I should get Kapara, say the Hachamim to no, then everyone's going to be want, want to be Minaket Asman. Everybody's going to say, Well, I didn't actually sin, but you know, I should get Kapara for other things. And that looks wrong. What looks wrong, says the Gemara? Says the Gemara, I don't say Hachamim, that's your problem. That people are going to get up and they're going to lie right before death and say, Listen, I didn't really sin, but I should get Kapara for other things. Let them go out looking good. Let them have a little dignity. I understand they were wrong. What, what is bad, says the Gemara? Says the Gemara, the rationale, the reasoning of Hachamim is it'll look bad. People will now start talking about the Beddin, about the court system, about the judges, and about the witnesses. If every person who's being put to death says, listen, I didn't do anything, and we allow them, we give them that podium to say those words, but I should get kapara nonetheless, it means that everyone's going to be claiming there's conspiracies, there's all sorts of wrongful doings and, and proceedings in the court. That's what we don't want. That's why the Hachamim say, don't let them say that. Tanura Banan says the Gemara Beraita. Which tells a story. There was an individual who was being taken to die, to be killed. Amar, he said, He's very audacious, he's very clear. 
and, and, and knowledgeable about himself that he didn't sin, what they're claiming he cl- sinned. And as a result, he says, listen, if I really did sin, what they're claiming, what these witnesses testified about me sinning, so then I shouldn't get any, I shouldn't achieve any kapara in my death. However, if I didn't sin the claim against me, what I'm now being executed for, I should then achieve kapara. In other words, he's very clear. I don't need the kapara if I actually sinned because I didn't actually sin. So I'm seeking kapara uh, on condition that it didn't actually sin. I mean, it's a pretty bold claim right before your death. And you should know the court, the judges, and Kol Israel, they're all menukim. I don't blame them. They're all naki. They're all clean. They, they were fooled. The edim, the witnesses, they should never be forgiven. This is his bold claim. He says publicly right before being executed. When the rabbis heard this statement, they said, we can't bring back the case. I mean, it's a very bold claim, and it appears as if, well, maybe appears as if he's speaking truth. We can't turn back the case. We already had a verdict. We already had a gezardin. Uh, rather, he should be killed. And the noose, the kolar, should be talui, so to speak, quote-unquote, on the necks of the witnesses. In other words, this is on their head. Indeed, exactly as he said, if these witnesses did conspire, if they are lying, if they were falseful witnesses, it's on them. We can't change it any longer. We had a gezardin. It's all done. This is so simple. Would you have thought any differently? Would you really have thought that, you know, the hachamim needed to say, listen, we can't turn back the case. Of course you can't turn back the case. Case is done. The witnesses testify. We accept their testimony. We had a gazardin. There's also things turning it back now because the guy said some nonsense or said something true at his death. It's over. It's not as if he's bringing uh, um, evidence contrary to their statement. Kol does he have the ability to turn back? says, Perhaps the case was in this situation where the guy makes that bold claim that the witnesses upon hearing this, hadre, uh, they turned back. They said, oh, truth is, he's right. Oh, my goodness. So embarrassing in front of everyone. But I'm going to admit it. We're going to admit it. We were lying. We were conspiring the whole time. Nonetheless, say the hachamim, over, case done. So it's going to be still simple. I don't understand. Once the... Because that's when you have witnesses or tests or, um, or evidence contrary. In other words, you have claims. Over here, you don't have any claims. All you have is these witnesses were lying. Now the witnesses say, the truth is we were lying. That's not enough. You need, because ca- it doesn't work in court. The halakha is, once you utter something in court, done, you can't change your statement. No, doesn't count as anything. That wasn't a testimony. They're not testifying about anything. You can make the claim, it won't do anything. (laughs) Okay, that'll work, but that's not what you have over here. That's what the Gemara is saying. You don't have that over here. Not enough. You'd have to block the. You'd have to block the testimony originally because now you have witnesses against witnesses, but already accepted witnesses and gezardim. And now you have witnesses who say those witnesses told us they were lying. It's not sufficient. Says the. <laughs> That's it. Otherwise, you can't undo it. 
Says the Gemara, that's, or, or we found other witnesses, or we found evidence, or we found some mistake. That's it. Says the Gemara, says the Gemara, the Hidushas, even though the witnesses brought a reason for why they falsely testified. All right, over here, it's not, hey, kid, the guy made the claim and they said the truth is we lied. They have a reason. That's right. That's an example. We were after his wife. We were after something. We had some jealousy. Nonetheless, what was the Pesachin? We killed him anyway. Says the Gemara in parentheses, and we're going to talk about this tomorrow in a long Rashi. Long, long Rashi. The Gemara says, just like the story of Ba'aya Michsa. There's a long, the left-hand side, you see a Rashi. It's about 40 lines. He's really quoting or, or summarizing. Talmud Yerushalmi, a very long story which we'll read tomorrow, tomorrow, which has a similar circumstance where the witnesses at the end of the day come. It's about Shimon ben Shattah, who was a very important time. We'll talk about him very briefly. They testified about his son falsely because they were out to get Shimon ben Shattah. They falsely testify about him. He's on death row. They're about to kill him. And the witnesses admit to lying. And Shimon ben Shattah, according to Talmud Yerushalmi, says, I can't do anything about it. No, but we're telling you why we were lying. We feel bad about what we did. And they execute his son. Amen.